Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. It, it reminds me ever so slightly of when Leroy Fur brought his girlfriend a horse. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Front Three Podcast. Adam Bolt here alongside Nika Morales drinking a beautiful coffee, it looks like. It looks lovely. It is a, it is a beautiful coffee. It's a Nicaraguan, um, and it tastes of blackberry, uh, a little bit whiny, and, and some currant. And it's, it's, it's beautiful this morning. It tastes beautiful. You painted a, a, a wonderful picture. Chris, are you drinking anything uh, quite so extravagant? Or? We're 30 seconds in, and we are at peak, Nico. We are at like... <laughs> yeah. I just go, yeah, nice coffee. If you went written it. three answers down, I would have guessed that's what he was going to say. <laughs> and I hope we never change. Hey, I enjoyed it. There it is. There it is. Anyway, guys, uh, I wasn't sure if we should do a podcast this week. Not much on. Bit of a quiet one. I suppose there's maybe a couple of stories we could discuss. I mean, just a few. Yeah, the insignificant matter of Lionel Messi telling Barcelona he wants to leave the club. Um, you know, not the most important story, but I suppose we could talk about it. Um, also, the Champions League final, the biggest game of the year, I guess. And the small matter of uh, Manchester United captain being found guilty of assaulting uh, a police officer in Mykonos. I suppose we could talk about those things. Uh, we should probably start with Messi, I guess. Um, almost just to recap how the news broke... It seemed to be broken at first by a journalist called Alfredo Martinez. He's very well connected at the club. This was at 6pm UK time yesterday. Uh, and he just put it out there. Messi one's out. It then emerged that Barcelona was informed by Burefax, which was a nice little twist. Not really sure what Burefax is. It seemed to be some sort of official method of sending uh, documentation. That was a nice thing. Uh, then it emerged he wants to leave for free. Multiple sources and outlets reporting that there's a clause in his contract, which means that it, he could, free, or at least his camp, believes as such. Although Barcelona, in contrast, insists that Messi's bound by a £700 million release clause, which is uh, you know, fairly sizable. Then you had Carlos Puyol coming out and tweeting his support for Messi. Respect and admiration, Leo. All my support, friend. You had Luis Suarez then sending applause emojis in reply to that tweet. It was all mad. Of course, Messi's exploding. It's trending on Twitter worldwide within the hour. Uh, Daniel Levy trending shortly afterwards, of course, as well. Um, of course, within 24 hours, Chris, some talk that it's a negotiating tactic. Far more talk, it seems, that this is serious from Messi. Um, but regardless, it is real. He has told the club he wants to leave, regardless of his, his motivations. Um, 
and frankly, I mean, Chris, can you can you blame him? No, I can't blame him because I think the the thing with Lionel Messi is for a lot of his early Barcelona career, he was not the only major player there and he certainly wasn't the oldest. So there wasn't as much of a responsibility for him to sort of grab hold of the narrative and be, I guess you would say, a leader off the pitch. Because that's the other thing I feel like we forget when we discuss Barcelona sometimes is, like Real Madrid, it's an incredibly political club with the presidents, the elections, all of those things. It really does mirror actual politics. And that's why when this first happened and everyone was like, are you crazy? I kind of get that. But I was also there the night that he retired, in inverted commas, from national team duty at MetLife. And the same thing happened. The sky was falling, everyone was running around, I was running around. And yet, the more sort of breathing space you gave from that moment, you realised actually it was more of a sort of cry for help or a venting of frustration than anything. And I look at what Sergio Ramos did with Manchester United. I look what Cristiano Ronaldo did almost on a yearly basis, sometimes even twice a year with Real Madrid. And just think, you know what? The idea that he wants to leave is not necessarily incorrect, I think, because he said it. Whether he actually comes to leave with the financial requirements that he has with everything else, that to me is a different thing altogether. And for that reason alone... It would not shock me if he has used this as his one sort of push to get the changes structurally at the top of the club that he thinks are required to fix the situation. Because he's clearly realised, I think, when it comes to his career with Barcelona, at least in the Champions League, let's say, it hasn't been the best use of his peak years. It really hasn't. It's been a, a while, for Messi at least, since he won the Champions League. And so if that's going to change, either he needs to move clubs potentially, be it Man City, Juventus, PSG, wherever, or there needs to be root and branch reform. And in theory, what he's doing now is going to guarantee him one of those things. Either the club will use this as a vehicle to move him on and say, okay, you know, if you want to go, we can't stand in your way, Lionel. Or he's going to drop his wage demands and some club, because he has this free clause that they're now arguing over, is going to pick him up and he's going to get that opportunity at a a Champions League that he's so desperate for. If he does want to win that Champions League, Nico, surely he has to leave because even if this is some elaborate power play and he forces out Josep Bartomeu, there's not going to be the changes made in the next two to three years, which would need to be substantial, in order to get Messi and this team to a place where they can compete with the likes of Bayern Munich. He surely needs to leave if he does want to realise that ambition. Yeah, I mean, I think it's an interesting question because it's essentially sort of an impossible situation. I think we can engage with this kind of question at a media level in the sense that we talk about these clubs and we talk about their specific narratives and and the volatility of their situation. Um, But there's some maybe lack of legitimacy in the sort of sky is falling aspect that we engage with because, you know, I saw a tweet this morning that was talking about Wigan Athletic, a team that was in the Premier League not too long ago, at least in in recent memory, um, that was launching a crowdfunding campaign to to save their club from existence. So when we talk about, you know, is Barcelona finished or or is, are are they no longer the club that they are, they still operate in a very different 
uh, financial and literal realm than uh, a series of other massive professional clubs. So with regards to that situation, with regards to the rhetoric surrounding these kind of questions, I think we have to take that into account. Equally, I think if you look at the squad, it's not as if if even if they do get rid of Messi in in lieu of a of a competent coach, which I don't necessarily believe to be Ronald Koeman, it's not as if they can put something together and and be an amazing team. They still have talented players, but I think part of the reason that Messi is uh, showing a legitimate or worrying, depending on who you are, uh, you know concern for for wanting to leave the club or or desire to leave the club um, is because the club haven't done well to rebuild that team to give them success going forward and a lot of teams a lot of top teams Manchester City uh, Liverpool even Bayern and, and and a variety of other clubs go through periods of rebuilding but if you do that intelligently then maybe you only have one or two years in which you're waiting for new talents and 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 uh certain players to hit their stride and, and kind of coincide with, you know, playing together and playing in a new system. And that it doesn't look like it's going to be done anytime soon at Barcelona because they have a lot of sentimental value attached to a lot of the players that are still there under huge money, under big contracts, and that doesn't spell success for Messi. And it's also an impossible situation in the sense that it it's not as if he is sort of a mid-tier superstar, if that kind of diaspora can even be readily accessible. Um, because he's the best player in the world, I think nobody would disagree with that. But he's unaffordable because his wages are so big. And he can't just move anywhere because not only are his wages astronomical, and he expects to be paid those, and he should be paid those, and his agent will, you know, ask for those to be paid, at least within a realm of, of of that sort of ballpark figure. But also, structurally, how do you fit a, I believe, 34-year-old, 32-year-old Lionel Messi into a tactical system that not only are the opposition going to focus on him, but also he demands a lot of the ball. I know Mike Goodman uh, sort of tweeted out a, a pass map that suggested that Barcelona do heavily rely on him, and maybe that's Part of that is down to the club and their, again, lack of structure, lack of ability. But no matter where Messi goes, it seems like that's kind of going to be the strategy, not only because he's extremely talented, but because that's how he operates as a player. I think part of that is, is touched on, again, maybe the that's why the relationship is a bit fractious there between um, Pep Guardiola and Lionel Messi is because the, the system doesn't favor anyone in particular. But with him, it, it kind of did, and, it, and that's what he was asking for. I, I don't know personally, but at least tactically, it seemed like that was the case. So it, it, it's an impossible situation from a variety of angles. If we put logic aside, just for a second, though, <laughs> as you sort of said, I think, is it 70 million in wages he earns a year? Um, let's run through just some of the contenders. You know, I have to start with Manchester City. Nico, according to Catalonia Radio yesterday, Messi has reached out to Guardiola. In the past few days, he said, hey, I can't stop thinking about you and what we had together. You know, maybe <laughs> that, we could give it another quote? chance. You know, I, I, I can neither confirm nor deny these are, these are direct quotes. But he wants to give it another chance. You know, some reporting, as you sort of alluded to there, the relationship between the two, Guardiola and Messi may be a little bit fractured. But according to The Guardian today, City believe they have a chance. Guardiola wants to link up with Messi again, Nico, and he cannot wait 
to leave him on the bench as he checkmates himself in 3D tactical <laughs> chess in yeah. next season's Champions League quarterfinals. It's what we all want to see. I think so. I think so. Yeah, I mean, it, it's interesting because um, <laughs> it's one of those things that obviously Messi has had Champions League success without Guardiola, but the same can't be said for Pep himself. So it's it's one of those things that I think narrative narrative wise we wonder you know is he the missing key and i think if you look at it tactically it was something um spectacular that worked out for them because he like i said he he devised at least part of that system around the spectacular individual qualities of Lionel messi but we can't forget also that that messi has changed quite a bit as a as a player himself it's also i don't know it 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 lawrence and i have spoken and and he's alluded to on some of the other podcasts like I don't really consider myself a Manchester City fan anymore, trying to sort of just watch football and enjoy it in different ways and not affectionately stand for a moral, morally ambiguous club like Manchester City. So from that perspective, it would just be kind of, I don't know, it, it like almost brings up something in my throat already seeing this Manchester City team, but then adding Lionel Messi to it, it's just like... Is that the point we're at? I also would like to make the point, maybe this is just peak me, but the points that everybody has been talking about with the financial concerns and also the structural concerns, like we're at a point in football where the most talented football on the planet, I think unquestionably, is unable to play football at a in a better situation because of the financial limitations of the free market system that we have decided is best i just want to point that out <laughs> that was it's like nico bingo if you say free market system <laughs> then it's like everyone ticks that off i haven't like, uh... said the c word yet Adam. <laughs> there's time there's plenty of time plenty of opportunity um there's an element of this reminds me of wayne rooney though when he wanted to leave manchester united that yeah everyone was like oh he's still a very good player he's become a little bit you know positionally fluid in the sense that i don't think people were quite in agreement across the board where he worked best. Some people wanted him to be a nine. He obviously wanted to be like a 10 slash central midfielder, which I think he now is at Derby County. I think he's much deeper than he was. But when you looked at it, you thought, well, maybe PSG. PSG sometimes are seen as this, well, they can always go there because they've just got <laughs> money. Like It's, it's just, just endless. No one really knows the ceiling of, of their, their uh, war room in terms of money. But I, it's... I think really, if you, he's going to have to cut his wages if he wants to go. That's the problem. I think it's eighty-eight million a year he costs. And look, I'm walking a tightrope here. Some of that is offset by the money he brings in himself by sporting, uh, by marketing, you know, benefits and ancillary benefits that maybe we don't see, but not to the point where it's covered. I can promise you that it it takes a bit of a off the top of it, but. I just I can't see a world where he doesn't drop his wages if he wants to leave. And that's I mean, at this point, he doesn't need the money, realistically. You know, it's it's a little bit more and, and he could retire tomorrow and cash checks for the rest of his life sponsoring products. I think I think there's also a point worth mentioning within that conversation, like when PSG went for Neymar and I think. Adam and I were having this conversation pre-podcast today. There's a there's a marketability element that a club engages with with every star, and we, we hear these points talked about in contract negotiations about image rights and, and all these things. So that's an aspect of this too. And I, while I think I would be ignorant to say that a club couldn't increase 
marketability or or that aspect of of themselves by signing the world's greatest player, he isn't really a marketable asset in as, as much as a Ronaldo, as much as a, a a Neymar, as much as Mbappe, or even some of the lower tier stars, um, because he just he doesn't really seem all that interested in 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 doing that kind of thing, and he's not outspoken in that sense. So, I mean, is there an aspect of that that enters this conversation? I wonder if a move like this does transform in in that respect, though, and seeing him in a new context, a new environment, and new opportunities. I I do think that's something that could enter into the conversation. I don't think when you mentioned PSG, I don't think anyone wants to see him in Liga. Uh, I think everyone probably wants to see Messi, Neymar, Mbappe as the ultimate front three, uh, especially me. I mean, the SEO traffic would really help the podcast no end, so that would be a good move. Um, but it, it feels like, yeah, Man City, PSG may be the most realistic in terms of the finances. I mean, I've seen Serie A mentioned, Chris. I mean, Inter, they haven't won a trophy since 2011, but given their owners, there's a talk of them having the finances to do it, the ambition, the scope. And then we get to see Messi v Ronaldo ignited once again in Italy. Even talk of Juventus, you know, Messi and Ronaldo. You know, they just need to find a, a magic money tree in Turin maybe, and uh, they could make that happen, Chris. Yeah, I feel like there's a transfer expert on Twitter who could probably tell us if this one's happening. Um, but no, I, th- I think um, David Ornstein. <laughs> yeah, that that's the thing. I've seen MLS mooted as well. I think that if that's ever going to happen, it will be later in his career. I know some. I think Miguel Delaney even uh, did something that said that Inter Miami have spoken to him and Suarez. They obviously need a big name to come in and sort of be the the flagship or the torchbearer for that that team as they emerge into MLS. But to me, what of the proposals I've looked at, and when I say looked at, I mean sort of read on social media and what have you, the Man City one feels like the most believable in the sense that I think they talked about, or it was it was speculated that it would be something like oh, why not give him a three-year deal? He spends like a year or two at City and then he goes to NYCFC. Now, that was someone just spitballing an idea, but that to me feels pretty believable in terms of that transition for it lets him go there. And then in theory, I would assume he'd spend a year or two at NYCFC and then go on to Newell's um, because I think that's where he wants to finish his career. So City can obviously afford him, um, because of the financial situation that they're in. A- again, it's sort of all of this goes back to a point that Nico made that I think is not necessarily being discussed much, which is how do you actually fit him in? Because Barca have sort of tried to do that of late. I mean, granted, not all of the supporting pieces have been <clears throat> perfect or, or as good as they could have been, but you kind of have to accept that he's, he's probably not going to want to do a lot off the ball defensively. So then you, they try and build a 4-4-2 where, you know, he just needs to be in a position rather than actively engaging. That didn't really work. You then put him <laughs> as a false nine who, again, is not going to really put any kind of pressure on, but's going to want a lot of the ball. And look... You can... you're, say, you're saying as, as alluring as this transfer could be to sign the best player in the world, Chris, the GOAT, it, it could be a problem. At this new club, just he's become a problem at Barcelona. You know, what's funny about that is that, like, when this was breaking, I I thought about, you know, because it was kind of happening at the same time in the Champions League final. I was like, who's the best coach at 
implementing a competent tactical system, but still accommodating for a complete ball hog superstar. Thomas Tuchel, he's built, he's built a PSG system that is competent at recycling the ball and like maintains all the you know proponents of this modern possession system. But he's also done it with Neymar that it, you know pressures sure and has like he's not as defensively inept as everybody makes him out to be, but it's still a system that's centered around his relative positional fluidity. So in that sense, it's even still a little bit more impossible because I think we talk about, yeah, he can always go to PSG, but can he, you know, I think part of this is almost like a boardroom of oil CEOs, not literally, but, you know, if he goes to Manchester City, another top European club will be like, well, they need to be investigated again. Or if he goes to PSG, that you know, they'll just kind of call the, the dogs on whoever ends up getting him if it's this financial superpower. And, you know, they, they probably don't want to incur that kind of uh, legal attention again. So it's, it's it, you know, so much of this has more to do with Lionel Messi in and of himself that it's like there's so many moving pieces. Also, you know, does the Premier League for years as a marketable package, had to listen to, okay, well, it might be the most competitive league in the world, but the best players in the world are in La Liga and Messi and Ronaldo and a few other guys. Now, Ronaldo's in Serie A. They probably want Lionel Messi in their league as a, as a package to put them you know, even more in the lead of, of the most marketable and compelling sports league in the world. So It'd be a real disaster for La Liga, wouldn't it, if Messi does indeed leave. Um, it, it reminds me ever so slightly of when Leroy Fur brought his girlfriend a horse, but then did not factor in that she lives in an apartment. Like, <laughs> That's exactly what I was, was a, thinking of as well. Yeah, it was totally. a lovely gesture. It was well thought out, but it's not that practical. Yeah. Does, yeah, speaking of not that practical, does, does Bayern Munich make any sense? I mean, we're talking about clubs which have the financial pool and maybe have the team around that can, you know, indulge Messi in a sense. There's no better team to join if you want to win everything on offer next season, Chris, surely. Um, well, the thing is, I, I read a really good piece by John Muller um, on Hansi Flick and, and Bayern Munich and <clears throat> why essentially in the Champions League final, which we'll come on to, they, they were right to kind of press, but he wrote this before the final. And I just think, does Messi again fit into that dynamic? Does he fit into that sort of... Because for, as much as this final was about a high line and everything... From a buying perspective, we also came away saying, actually, this is not a team where you pick out one player and say that is the difference maker. It's it's a death from a lot of different angles with Bayern. And so could he then fit into that and sort of... That's the, that's the other thing. It does sound, I appreciate to certain people listening, utterly insane to say, but there will be an element of any messy transfer which will require him to kind of adjust to where he goes he has to sort of bend a little bit I think for the first time in his career and that's going to be an interesting thing to watch if it goes through because we've <laughs> we've seen much lesser players with much bigger egos <laughs> so oh, yeah, how do you convince someone with his record to then kind of adapt the way they play or be willing to sacrifice certain elements of their game to fit in at the new club I do I really hope he follows through. I hope that he leaves because I feel like he deserves better than this. I feel like even though it's not his fault, and obviously Barcelona is completely dysfunctional in these past, what, four or five years, 
there does seem to be a bit of a dent and a bit of a sheen taken off his reputation because of, in particular, what's happened with Barcelona in the Champions League and this sort of repeated nightmare they keep uh, failing to wake up from. But um, there is a well, logic. Oh, as- so hold on. Let me ask you a question, Adam. If he never wins another major... Well, yeah, if he never wins another Champions League, does does his legacy as a player, is is that... Does Not- it change? Not for me personally, but I think in the wider perception, I think it does. I think there's an element of Ronaldo, the the narrative being he knew when to leave, the time is right, he's gone to Juventus, he's won more league titles, albeit not the Champions League, and it doesn't look like Juventus are potentially likely to challenge in any real sense next year. But I think there's a, there's a logic to Messi leaving. I think he deserves better than what Barcelona are offering. And he's got, what, two years at the top, maybe three years at a push. He probably wants to be in prime shape for Qatar 2022 when, you know, it's going to be his last World Cup. I think he needs to be in a position where he at least feels like he can contribute and compete. To me, like I say, I hope he follows through. I hope he leaves. I hope he gives himself another chance of realistically winning the Champions League. Because even as we said at the top there, if... This is some sort of power play, which doesn't seem to be. But if it is and Joseph Bartomeu leaves and the new president comes in and ushers in Xavi and there's a whole revolution at the club, it's two to three years before they're realistically in a place to challenge Bayern Munich, PSG, City, Liverpool, all these clubs who have much more dynamic teams who are much further along in their transition. So for Messi, if he indeed wants to win that Champions League, the time does seem to be now. But if you're a betting man, Nico... Where would you put your money? Is he more likely to just be at Barcelona at the start of next season? Ultimately, if the reports would be believed, if he does want to leave on a free, if that clause, as he and his camp seem to think, does give him that right to leave on a free, it needs to happen before the end of the month, which is next Tuesday, I believe. So there's not a lot of time for this to happen. I mean, of course, there is that opportunity for a club to negotiate a fee and are Barcelona realistically going to hang on to Messi if he is in this sort of mental state, if he is in this sort of situation where they're not going to be able to get this £700 million release clause, they're going to have to negotiate and they probably will accept a world record fee for him, which is not necessarily beyond some of these super clubs. But do you think it's more likely he ends up at Barcelona? Where's your Where's your money? Uh, I think one of two things happens. He stays at Barcelona and we have a year of contentious sitting on the bench not playing game, him not flying back to speaking to Ronald Koeman at Yeah, whatsoever. not speaking to Ronald Koeman, whatever. Yeah. Hanging out on the bench drinking mate. Or he signs for some, uh, what is it, Qatari club for ridiculous no, money and no we never way. see him again. <laughs> no way. Well, what do you reckon, Chris? Surely he's going to a European club that can at least be perceived to be competing <clears throat> for the Champions League. Yeah, 100%. That's, uh, I think the the last two things on his list um, probably outside of playing for Nils is try and win Champions League again do something with Argentina um, I, I don't uh, I don't see anything else in his his viewfinder mm. what do you think finally before we move on what do you think this all means for Ronald Koeman Nico because he's obviously come in <laughs> as the Barcelona manager uh, a somewhat controversial choice somewhat dubious choice is this really the man to turn things around uh, according to reports he's gone in and done well the bad cop bad cop routine it seems he's gone in and said to Messi no more privileges you're done you know we're not going to be indulging you anymore which apparently has led to this this move 
for him to say that he wants to leave the club. He's told Luis Suarez that he's finished at the club as well. He's obviously going in and trying to 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 be a hard nosed manager who's sort of giving a bit more of a, a determined style compared to maybe some of the previous Barcelona managers. But um, it would be pretty dramatic if he came in and within a month, the greatest player the club has ever seen could be perceived to have been forced out by him to an extent. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think if what he's doing now is paying homage to the reasons that maybe he was hired. Again, we've talked about on previous podcasts, like this idea that clubs like Manchester United and other more sentimental big clubs out there think that previous players, club legends, so on, have like the special sauce that you need to run a club. Um, and that's great that he's paying, you know, paying the, the playing the part as to, uh, well, nobody's bigger than the club and this, that, and the other. But that'd be one thing if there was like a talented reserve of players and, and young, you know, well-built squad that he could, build some kind of vision of Barcelona-esque football after. But the squad is pretty fucked. And, you know, forcing out the best player in the world and for forcing out Luis Suarez is fine. He's kind of older and, and maybe some of the other guys. But I don't, you know, call me wrong, clip this up when he wins the treble or something. But I don't think he's going to do particularly fantastic, especially if he, if he deals with some of the uh, uh, more talented players, at least that relate to his immediate success in the way that he has. So good luck, I guess. Yeah. I mean, speaking of uh, putting the money down, uh, Chris, it feels like Komen will be gone within a year. There'll be a new president and Javi who's waiting in the wings will, uh, will be the Barcelona manager. Surely. Yeah. I, I seem to remember people said this was kind of what Ole Solskjaer was doing at Man United. He was sort of the clearing house guy. He wasn't necessarily the one to take them forward. It was just come in, stabilize it and get rid of the deadwood. Um, I'll, I'll be honest. It reminds me ever so slightly of The Office where David Brent is going around and going, you're not going to lose your job. You're not going to. You're not going to. There's an element. I mean, look, that's the other thing. Barcelona, they are in need of, um, I guess you could say, an overhaul in terms of the playing squad. There's players that are too old there. There's players that haven't worked out. I know I saw yesterday some people saying that Messi's wages are a part of the reason that Barca are in decline. I would point to some of the plus 100 million transfers they've done that haven't worked out, like Coutinho and Griezmann <laughs> and LA. Like Griezmann isn't a bad footballer, to be clear. That's not what I'm saying. But again, it's, it goes back to the Leroy Furhorse analogy that I used before. <laughs> of Is course. it a good fit for what you want to do? That, that, that's the problem with, with Barcelona. And I kind of see that with Frankie de Jong, that when he played at Ajax, Eric Ten Hag said quite openly since he left, the way he got the best out of him was using him as part of a double pivot with two sixes. That's not really how Barcelona play for for. for what I associate with kind of the, the genesis of their identity and their ideology, because they are a club, I think, a little bit like Ajax, that have this very crystallized identity that they're always chained to. So either you change or you have to work and really try and change him, which seems like a really needless task for a player you spent that much money on. You would think when you buy someone like that, you would want to do it because he fits what you want to do. So I don't know, it just feels like a lot of different ideas all going into the same pot and then different people pulling them out like it's just it just doesn't make sense to me it's they need some kind of very clear defined leadership at that club from a from the top down and until they get that i just can't see how it improves i, I don't think this is as simple as 
sign good player, team play well. Like it's it's a lot more complicated than that for me. <laughs> Just before we move on, I mean, uh, I have to ask about Manchester United. It's the club that's been linked. Do they sign good player Messi and it all works out? Uh, Nico, is the allure of working with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer just too ima- strong? Hold on. Imagine Dave. Just imagine David O'Brien. And he would lose just, his head. I want, I want to take the listeners to a place. Close your eyes. Put yourself in the shoes of David O'Brien. <laughs> He's there. He's completely erect. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Shall we move on to the Champions League final? It's been a few days since, you know, the post-mortems have been, uh, have been conducted. But I wanted to see what you thought. Nico, what did you make of it all? Not the goal fest that some predicted, but as expected, perhaps Bayern triumphed, PSG lost, and football was the winner. I, I think it's interesting that you say as expected um, for Bayern because I looked at the betting odds before the game and, and Bayern were the, were the slight favorites, which I thought was a little bit weird because I, I was encouraged by um, the way PSG had played and, and their flexibility sort of, again, I, I think... Um, you know, a few years ago when, when Klopp was still sort of in the infancy of his project at, at Liverpool, I thought, you know, that's, that's a perfect team to go and do well in the Champions League because of their transitional style. And we've seen Pep Guardiola's teams not do so well. And, you know, just generally with the landscape of modern football, teams that, that like possession and, and do some of those possession-based ideals um, just tend to to fail and because of the 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 uh, transitional nature of of the higher level game and and so um, yeah I was I was really encouraged by the way that PSG had played in some of the earlier rounds and Bayern as good as they are I, I think I didn't think they were as good at maintaining the ball but that being said I think the story of the final is that Bayern were able to maintain the ball better than PSG and the, and the chances that they did create through Neymar and Mbappe, which there were a few, um, were ousted by some spectacular individual play. You know, Manuel Neuer just rolling back the years and making some incredible saves. And, and uh, you know, players like Alfonso Davies and David Alaba and, and Nicolas Schule as well, um, doing things on both both ends of the ball that, that really helped Bayern kind of get through in the end. Because it was it was a pretty even game to, to, my, to my eye and on the chances as well. But, yeah. Yeah, plenty of chances for both sides, Chris. I mean, you kind of alluded to it there 
or earlier, you know, Hansi Flick getting this right in terms of sticking with his game plan and obviously what's been working for so long for Bayern, there was that suggestion that maybe he'd adapt or maybe he'd change things up based on the sort of the counter-attacking potency of PSG. He didn't do that in the end. Yeah, and you know what? I actually really admire his commitment to his identity. I think sometimes when we say that, it's very much steeped in hindsight that if they had lost, we'd say, well, why didn't he adapt? <laughs> and if, because they won't go, what a guy, so strong of willing character. Um, but no, I think what I like about their, their system is because it's so aggressive and it's so keen to essentially contain the opponent within their own half and press against them, it means that they kind of pin some of the opponents back. I think where, I don't want to say they they got fortunate, that's not really the right to, where I think PSG let themselves down was in their attacking interplay. Because you spend, and I think I might have said this to you, Adam, during or just after the game, when you spend the level that they do on those forwards, it's got to work better than it did. And like I saw examples of it against Atalanta where like Mauro Icardi just didn't really make a run for one chance that Neymar had. Like it just sort of, and, and it's that, that you look at, there was a breakaway, I want to say in the first half where Inside, I'm screaming for Mbappe to make a run outside the defender to drag Alaba away, to sort of open the space up. But he runs inside him. And so it makes it much easier for Alaba and Davies to marshal that situation. And it's those kind of moments where I just thought, when you guys get flowing, when you've got the space and everything, it just doesn't feel like everybody either knows what they want to do or understands how they need to react to make the most of that situation. And massive just like throwing it out there hot take there's part of me wonders if the reason that the situation is like that at PSG is because when it comes to league play where you would potentially build that harmony and that fluency so often they can get away with just being decisive with an individual moment of brilliance so when it comes to playing at this top level and I know Nico might be about to tear me down for that opinion but when it comes to that level against someone like Bayern where you do need that sort of cute little interplay that understanding it's just not there and I think if I'm PSG that Monday morning I feel like we missed a real opportunity there look Manuel Neuer was inspired by the same token that they found a goalkeeper that just decided hey it's 2012 again let's be great (laughs) Um, but I think for, for them and like I say I feel like we saw little warning signs of this on their run to the final they're not the most effective attacking team that they could be, I think. They could be better from an attacking standpoint, given the talent that they've got and the opportunities that they managed to create. Uh, <laughs> I think on the whole, they've displayed a, a level of attacking proficiency that I think many people can be happy. I, at the same time, I, I think there is some validity to the, the, to the points Chris made there in the sense that I, I think yeah, some of the attacking spark wasn't there and some of the interplay wasn't there in the final. I would I would put that more down to Bayern Munich doing things to limit that. I think they did a really good job on, on killing Mbappe specifically. Every time he got the ball, there were two or three players surrounding him. He did well to adapt individually into the game in the sense that I think maybe in some sense I expected him to you know be frustrated with that and take on players and maybe 
bad decisions because of of a final and he wanted to you know ball out and and show his quality and all these things um but he made some really incisive passes to Neymar and other players to create some uh chances to do that so to me the the final was really encouraging from an individual perspective in in Mbappe's um own career but yeah I I think Bayern I was impressed with how they defended because as uh, John Muller pointed out in his newsletter, which is really good, uh, you know, the, the high line, while it allows Bayern to do a lot of things in possession, and again, that for me was the story of the game, was their ability to maintain the ball, and I was surprised. And even Thomas Muller, uh, not Thomas Muller, Thomas Tuchel, said after the game, you know, they did maintain more possession. That was kind of a problem for us. They were very brave. They were they were consistent with their approach. Um, that That's... They they still they still did well as a defensive unit in the individual situations where you would have imagined players like Mbappe and Neymar and some of the other guys to succeed because that was kind of always the danger. It's like well, Bayern hold this high line, so do PSG when they have the ball, like any possession team. Um, but they have Mbappe, and Mbappe is is is, is an incredible incredible talent. Um, and PSG did or. Bayern Munich, sorry, did did really well to contain that. I think that's it can it can be as simple as that sometimes. Hmm. And just on on Hansi Flick, Nico, obviously his record is ridiculous at Bayern Munich. I was talking to Dave about this uh, the other week on the podcast. Obviously, he hasn't managed uh, a first team himself since, I think, Hoffenheim in 2005, I believe it was. He came in mid-season here. He's won 29 out of 30 matches at Bayern Munich. Haven't lost a game since 2019. 11 for 11 in the Champions League this season. What do you put that success down to? The articles and, and sort of the podcasts I've been reading have kind of spoken a lot of his man management. The players love him. And he's kind of got back to basics and, and got the best out of him in that way. But is there kind of a, a tactical appreciation that's perhaps been, been overlooked? Uh, I think to a certain extent, yeah. There are elements of the system that are really proficient and that make sense with regards to the quality of players that they have. But I think in a larger context, you know, a lot of that is is kind of, you know, we're looking at a similar situation to maybe not exactly, but sort of as Zinedine Zidane, you know, you walk into you walk into Bayern Munich and you're going to win trophies, even if you're probably completely inept right obviously he's done well to win the champions league <laughs> they manage themselves a... these players <laughs> yeah. and and this is a this is a um you know an interesting scenario that the, the single game knockout i think will always kind of be an asterisk uh for for a lot of people in this competition but i think also it's evidence of this again completely different tier of football which is that if you have a certain quality kind of player and you're a certain you have a, a certain economic advantage as a club over the rest of the European teams or, or you're within a particular class to a certain extent, which isn't to take away any credit from Hansi Flick. You, you compete in, the, in a different world. You know, yes, there are tactical innovations and, and coaching achievements that need to be, uh, you know, the credit needs to be given to him. But equally, I think a lot of clubs are realizing, okay, we can establish a certain kind of football as long as we maintain a certain quality of player and, and have a certain level of coaching and understanding within the team, we're, we're going to do okay. I mean, finally, talk to me about uh, Alfonso Davies, Chris, because his journey has been pretty remarkable. 19-year-old Champions League winner now last year, I believe it was, was it 2019, he joined mm -hmm. Bayern Munich from the Vancouver Whitecaps in MLS. Yeah, we uh, we came back across the Atlantic at roughly the same time, did Alfonso and I? <laughs> yeah. Very different times since. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, look, 
just a chef's kiss of a footballer. Just a, a wonderful player. I, I was watching a clip the other day of him playing for uh, Vancouver's USL side against Las Vegas and just the the speed, the technique, everything. It, he Here's the thing. When he joined Bayern, he was a, a wonderful talent. Um, and the, if I can make sort of comparative terms, this was not like a Dale Jennings situation where someone had been plucked from a lesser situation and there was a chance he might make it. I was always very confident that Alfonso would play at a high level. The level at which he has developed and the speed at which he has developed is perhaps a better way to frame it, has taken me by surprise and is very impressive. Um, it's it's not just the speed, it's not just the technical ability. So often it's the decisions he makes, how quickly he adapts to the level. That's the other thing. I said this about Tyler Adams. He just seems to float where the level is. And that that's a quality that not all players have. It takes time for a lot of guys. It takes a, a real sort of appreciation for the nuances of that situation. And to be honest, I have to give credit to Giles Barnes, who played with him at Vancouver, because he was adamant from minute one. Like, you haven't even seen half of what this kid can do. Like, he go back to, I, I think it was like maybe 2018, 2017. And there's a text, there's a tweet exchange between me and Giles where he says, like, you haven't even seen the half of what this boy can do. Trust me, he's special. And he tried to get him to the Premier League, but there was no biters, um, which I think is probably now something that they all regret. I mean, I think there was a story just last week that said Hirsto <laughs> Stojkovic had said, oh, no, we won't sign him, he's Canadian. <laughs> By the same token, if you're thinking this is the start of a gold rush and there are more Alfonso Davies, I have some bad news. <laughs> <laughs> There's just not. Um, there are some can challenges. I, can I ask, Chris, did he did he play the same position at, at Vancouver? No, so he was a, a, a winger at Vancouver okay. um, predominantly. And, I mean... I personally, I didn't like the insinuation that he had to become a fullback in Europe to succeed. I thought he was good enough to become a winger. Um, but but I have to give credit to, to Bayern as well because the move to left-back has been tremendous for him. It's, it's unlocked, I think, a different type of player. God knows what Canada are going to do with him because <laughs> you can see already they just want to put him centrally with Jonathan David and, and try and just build the side around that. But, yeah, I think... From an American perspective, everyone is kind of keen to now like hold him up as some example of look what can be done. But I have to be honest and say like I just think this was such a perfect storm of a situation that it's going to be super difficult to recreate that level of player anytime soon. There are players that I think could go there. Diego Rossi, I think, will go to a decent level in Europe. Is is one that springs to mind instantly. I think Paxton Pomichael is another one, but. For Alfonso Davies, just to focus back on him, his development has been fantastic. And he's the second Canadian to win the Champions League now after Owen Hargreaves, which, let me tell you, a lot of Canadians don't really want to acknowledge. <laughs> um, but I think the future is so incredibly bright for that young man just because of, A, how wonderful a human being he is by all accounts, but B just how seamlessly he has fitted into this team. I, I think we're looking at someone that will become the best left-back in Europe at some point. You wow. could even argue he's there now. You could, you could form that argument and not look like a total idiot, I think. 
obviously Alfonso Davis is getting all the love. Um, as is Manuel Neuer, as you mentioned, Nico, uh, Robert Lewandowski as well. Uh, it seems from Instagram, he was the player who got to go to bed with the Champions League trophy as well. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I always wonder how they get those photos. Like, what does the player say? Like, is he actually like to their wife, like, actually, you know what? Like, it's, it's me and the trophy tonight. Like, you can go on the sofa. Um, but the other player, I feel... We'll do a few. We'll do a few. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, the other player, I feel like maybe... And maybe this is kind of a, a perennial problem with him, but Thomas Muller. I know there's kind of some think pieces now that are kind of giving him the credit he deserves, but it doesn't feel like in the wider sense he's a player who does get the spotlight. He's not as loved. He's not as sexy, as it were. He's not as exciting. You know, he does have the muscles of Goretzka, who I saw was getting some, some heat on Twitter. But um, he's not the most exciting player doesn't get the assists necessary doesn't get the goals these days doesn't get the the take-ons per game uh, as Dave I'm sure is looking at um but an incredibly successful footballer ever present at Bayern Munich over the last 20 years won the World Cup as well with Germany let's not forget the golden boot at the World Cup is is this a player who's kind of underrated Nico or do you think he just does his job so effectively and maybe maybe is overlooked a little bit but people can appreciate the genius the importance have a player like Thomas Muller? Uh, I think he, it's it's an interesting conversation because he obviously has had uh, differing periods of success at Bayern Munich. I think individually he's a player that has benefited to his own, to his individual credit for not really having, like you said, the physical attributes that one might lean on. Like you look at maybe a Davies or an Mbappe or, or, um, you know, uh, Ronaldo or whatever that have these uh, distinct qualities, be it physical or, or whatever, that allow them to succeed in a part of the game. Thomas Muller doesn't have that. He's just one lanky German boy. Um, but <laughs> he has found a way to ingratiate himself in modern football, in a modern attacking system, where, you know, a lot of the analysis that has been done has talked about his ability to find space. And I think that's what he does really well, is that since he's sort of this amorphous player, he doesn't have the incredible, uh, you know, pass-making ability of, of a number 10 or or the 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 maybe the distributive intelligence or tough tackling of, of a number six. But he finds space, and that's really it's it's something that yeah that's sort of a, a pie in the sky, um, hard to pin down idea. But it is important in a system that, again, Byron maintained the ball. They they have the majority of it. They create space in this in this final third. And when you can be fluid and intelligent in finding space, especially in the box, um, in a system like that, you can really uh, make yourself stand out. And he's done that. He did that under Japanks. He did that really well under Pep Guardiola, mm -hmm. and he's doing that again. That's all I wanted. A bit of love for Thomas Miller. Thank you. That was perfect. Before we finish up, we do have to talk about Harry Maguire uh, and the unsavory instant the Manchester United captain has found himself in in Mykonos. Kind of a little bit difficult to talk about, a little uncomfortable talking about. There's a lot of details that are coming out. Um, I feel like we don't know the full story and there's lots of kind of conflicting reports of dubious legitimacy perhaps um but what we do know is that he has been convicted of assaulting a police officer swearing resisting arrest and attempted bribery on the greek island of mykonos um he denied all the charges uh, immediately stated he will appeal the conviction uh, which has been supported by 
Manchester United. Um, he's not going to be stripped of the captaincy in the short term, despite the fact he's been dropped from the England squad um, after the fact of this conviction. Um, he was handed a prison sentence of 21 months and 10 days, but that's suspended because it is a first offence and the charges were misdemeanours. So, as I say, Nico, it's kind of a, an interesting situation. The coverage in particular has been very interesting um, with regards to Maguire. As I say, all a bit of an unsavoury situation. Yeah, and we were trying to discuss how we would approach this pre-podcast because mm. I think it's it's important how we talk about these issues. Um, and I sort of mentioned to you, obviously I'm not from England, but I have noticed that there is sort of this culture of, you know, because Europe is so close and there's a culture of, you know, visiting other places and going abroad and doing these things. But there is also seems to be sort of a male hyper-masculine uh, culture of, of going to places in Europe, kind of lads on tour element. And Brits abroad. Yeah, no. yeah, Brits abroad and announcing yourself and maybe acting in a way that, that you wouldn't in at your own house or in your own country and, and doing those things. So I wanted to ask you guys and, and kind of present the open question as to like, is that a, funda a fundamental element of British culture and because I think this conversation is nuanced, right? Like there's an there's an element of this where you know a lot of the abuse, uh, there's a lot of abuse coming from Manchester United fans in the sense that say, you know, he's our captain, he shouldn't be acting like this, he's a representative of our club, and to that extent, maybe they have some valid concerns there. But equally, like players are people, they're not your property, and they can go on holiday and do things. But also, the things that he did were wrong, and he should, you know, pay the not pay the fine, but pay the same uh, element of justice that anybody would be subject to. But also the, another element of this conversation is the media coverage around this hasn't really been that severe. It's almost like a shock. Oh, how can this happen? Or this is funny or whatever. How would we react if this was a black player, I think, or, or a player of color or, or, or whatever the case is? I think we also have to talk about that. So there's many elements, elements of this, and I know I've raised a lot of questions in that, but the floor is yours. Yeah, the, I think the race one is a really pertinent question because I think, you know, the, the most obvious comparison is Raheem Sterling. And I think if it was Raheem Sterling, the, the coverage, as you kind of alluded to, would be very different and there wouldn't be this talk of, model professional, Harry Maguire, etc. as there has been. I think it's, it is complicated by, I think when the news first broke, there was that aspect of Brits abroad and okay, it's, it's a, it's a classic footballer getting himself into this, this situation where he's embarrassed himself. There's drink, there's violence involved. And there was kind of almost uh, ah, here we go again. We've seen this before at the same time. It's interesting to see how the story and the situation has developed and as more details are revealed, I don't think they necessarily excuse Maguire and his behavior, but there does seem to be more details that are coming out that kind of illuminate the situation and perhaps explain as to to what happened and why. Um, I think it's interesting that Maguire has essentially refused to apologize. The fact he's appealing, the fact that you know the club are backing him and he seems quite intent on doing that. I think there are going to be more details revealed and there is going to be more of a more of a spotlight thrown on what happened and how it happened. But it, I don't know how you feel, Chris. It, it feels I feel I feel almost like I can't comment because I don't know the full extent of the situation. Yeah, I, I think uh, look, I've 
I've read stories criticising players buying their mother a house. I think getting in a fight in Greece is considerably worse than buying your mother a house, um, regardless of whether he started or not. <laughs> I, th- I think you're right, it. though. I think that's the problem, is that, to be brutally honest, and maybe this is the consequence of uh, me being engaged to a lawyer, but we don't know the facts on this one. We just don't. Um, I, funny, just before we came on, I just read there that his brother um, has said that no one was interviewed by the police. So there's clearly a lot of very contrasting accounts of, of what has happened or what happened at the time and then what has since happened to Maguire. Um, some pretty strong allegations as well. And it looks like, at least initially, it's cost him his England place. Um, I just think if there's anything I can say, it's that for footballers on a night out, as much as we envy the position they're in financially and everything they do live such a fragile existence when they go out because everybody really wants their attention most of the time it's very rare you can find somewhere in this world where someone doesn't want their attention and i think a little bit like a moth to a flame even if they don't intentionally bring this on themselves it does seem as if a lot get drawn into these kind of situations and for that i don't envy them because it seems like you can never really turn off um, I, and that, I will say to to that point because I think it's a good one. Like Chris says, like I, I, anywhere. I, I was watching. I was rewatching some of the All or Nothing um, Manchester City documentary on um, on Amazon, and I, I think something that's so that differentiates English f- football culture and English sporting culture from anywhere else in the world is like this capacity to feel ingratiated with the players and. I saw that, you know, after City won the title, City won their first 100-point uh, title, um, Vincent Company and a few of the other players went to a local pub and celebrated with some of the supporters. Like, they actually got drunk with some of the supporters. And, like, that's obviously a, a relatively common thing with regards to English football and culture. Like, I would never... If the if the Magic won the NBA championship, which never going to happen, but if they did, I probably wouldn't come anywhere close to them. Or no one in the city would because... There's just such a level of separation between the sporting entertainment package that exists in this country and that culture and the fans. It's two separate things, whereas in England, it's a little bit more close to home. Um, and I, I think there's an element of that that changes the conversation ar- around it. And like Chris mentioned, um, you know, that everybody wants their affection and, and they are accessible to the public. Equally, I recently watched... Uh, I believe his name is, let me just find it real quick. It's Justin Oliveira uh, Sahani, um, who runs Gorilla FC. And he did a really good video piece on, uh, you know, footballers going on vacation to Dubai. And part of that was the fact that nobody's there. So they don't, they essentially get to live like more normal people because there's far less of an average populace that is looking to engage with them from a fan perspective. And I wonder if like footballers see the Harry Maguire, this Harry Maguire situation and say, you know, they, they want to go over there and they want to go, they want to escape to places that are, that they can be normal people equally in that same video piece, which I think is worth watching for everybody. Like he points out essentially the slave labor system that is going on there and how the people that are serving these footballers who often are oblivious to this fact um you know are there they go to that country to work the country holds their passport indefinitely 
and they can't leave. And they're essentially just slaves for um, this uh, futuristic city of Dubai, which is uh, a paradise for anyone who has money. And which I will never go to. I have no <laughs> desire to go to Dubai. Mykonos, on the other hand, uh, is a beautiful place. Been there before. Um, can't recommend it enough. I mean, maybe not for footballers. I think they Got all... a great prison scene. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> amazing. I think they all went there this summer. Greece is the only place you can go on a quick getaway where there's not a quarantine in place these days. So all the footballers are there, apparently. But anyway, guys, that does bring us to the end of the podcast. Hope you enjoyed it. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, Chris, it's been a pleasure. Where can the listeners find more of you this week? Are you working on anything exciting that you want to share? Uh, not right this second. <laughs> but in due course, hopefully something. Excellent. Obviously, Nico, you mean, you've got your essays coming out any time now. We've all been waiting with bated breath. Uh, you've been promoting them on Twitter. <laughs> Any day now, we should be be able to read these, right? Yeah, so interesting how you've posited that. Um, yeah, uh, I have commissioned some artwork uh, for the PDF, so that might be delaying the release date a little bit, as well as a little uh, bit of my own editorial laziness. Um, but it will be coming in the be released in the coming weeks, and people should look out for that. Five essays for five or six dollars. Haven't decided yet. Uh, look out for it. Wait, Adam, what do you have going on? Uh, not much. I think uh, probably going to make some lunch in a minute. Maybe a bit of like vegetarian chili burritos. So that's kind of the main thing. Uh, you know, you're flexitarian. You know, you've got to be very right. conscious. At my age, I'm a lot older than you, Nico. You've got to be careful <laughs> with the meat consumption. You know, you've got to be healthy. Um, as a married man as well, you know, I need to maintain my figure these days. Um, but guys, thank you so much for listening. We will see you next Wednesday. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 